What's up? I'm Bobby Jones. And I'm Aftal Aziz. We're two friends who decided to quit our jobs in corporate life to follow our purpose and passion in helping inspire people to find ways to use their talents for good. Together, we're co-authors of the best-selling book, Good is the New Cool, Market Like You Give a Damn. We welcome you to the Good is the New Cool podcast in partnership with Soho House. Featuring some of the world's most inspiring creatives, entrepreneurs, and activists. We'll delve deep into their unique stories and the one thing they have in common, the desire and the courage to transform our world for the better. In this episode, we'll be hearing from the brilliant and inspiring entrepreneur and designer, Jason Maiden. For the past 15 years, I've been a professional designer. I've worked for companies like Nike, uh, led designer Jordan brand. But at the end of the day, I'm just a kid from the south side of Chicago that loves comic books. And I turned that into my company, which is super heroic, where we focus on products to help children explore their own abilities and capabilities through the archetype of a superhero. Jason put his talents and curiosity towards his mission of encouraging childhood development and inspiring imagination through movement and play. In his own words, Jason takes play very seriously and believes the world is one giant superhero training facility. I was first introduced to Jason through a good friend of mine, my brother, Kenny Mack. Jason was speaking on a panel called Behind the Hustle when he was talking about his story. And I was just really struck by Jason. He just has such a, like a strong presence, a, a clarity about his vision, about his purpose, and just a real humbleness and desire to share what he's learned with others. There's a real generosity of spirit that Jason had, uh, particularly now that he's in this latest chapter as the founder of Superheroic, this amazing footwear line that helps kids to feel like superheroes. And I love the shoe. I love the product. My son rocks it. So now I got to I gotta admit, my shoes are in the mail right now. I've ordered some for my son. How does your son like wearing them? He loved them. I mean, he's, you know, he's seven. In case he's listening, I'll say the Santa bought them for Christmas. <laughs> uh, Santa delivered them for Christmas. Uh, but yeah, he woke up Christmas morning and is a package with the shoes, beautifully designed. And they're, they're really great for the type of play that kids do on the playground. The cutting, the running, the climbing, all of those things that just help them feel super comfortable. But then there's this tube. Once you pull uh, open the tube, which you pull out is this cape and basically like the, the superhero starter kit. And so it was just wonderful to see him put the whole thing on. He put his cape on, he put his shoes on, and he was like ready to just go out that Christmas morning, like take on the world. And it, it was it was just a really cool moment. He loves it. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's ready for his next pair now. <laughs> he's able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Yes. You know, Jason has a really kind of childlike curiosity and imagination, which I think is really crucial to have sometimes as a creative or a designer. He knows really how to kind of approach doing good and in a fun way. I think it's uh, Einstein who said, play is the highest form of research, right? So it's, it's really tapping into this idea, especially as we're dealing with this, um, you know, things like an obesity ep epidemic ha happening amongst young people um, and young kids having less and less opportunities just to go out there and not just play, but use their imagination as well. I think that's why what he's creating is so powerful. And like you say, using the power of great design 
um, to make people and the kids feel good, you know, when they wear his shoes as well. Absolutely. So Jason came to speak with me at Lalo House, uh, and we had a great conversation there. Um, you know, he, he just has a real wisdom, but also just a really fun energy about him. The way he sees work, the way he sees life, the way he sees business and the possibilities in the world, it really gives you kind of that boost of energy to go out and find your own version of it and bring it to life. Well, you know, I think he is a Jedi and I'm a huge fan of his work. I am super excited to hear this. So let's get into it. Here he is, Jason Maiden. Jason, thank you for joining us. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me, man. It's a blessing to be here. It's a blessing to have you, man. I'm a longtime fan and supporter, man, of your work. You know, it's been wonderful to see your journey. You know, I want to start with Southside Chicago. You don't talk about the journey that you've had and success you've had and the work that you've done as being a, in spite of where you're from. Yeah. But you talk about it's because of where you're from. Yeah. Because of what Southside Chicago is and its beauty and its power and its history. Yeah, I think it's critical to have a distinction between living in the inner city and living in an impoverished neighborhood. And it's just a matter of language that determines how people view their environment. And so my parents said we lived in the city. They didn't tell us about the socioeconomic strife or anything going on around us because we saw so much beauty. Chicago, historically, is the epicenter of what I would like to believe black entrepreneurship because of the great migration. There were so many of our best and brightest and our hardest working that came from the south to the north to look for jobs, look for work, set down their roots. Um, but more importantly, it's one of the only urban cities and major cities in the United States that's founded by a black man, you know, a Haitian immigrant, Jean-Baptiste Dussabu. You can't help but just feel encouraged to go out and build something. And when you multiply that at times the fact that it's the home of the Fred Hamptons, you know, young men who went out there and used their voice to advocate for others through the Black Panther Party, or it's the home of Harold Washington, you know, Chicago's first black mayor. And, you know, you see people like Oprah and Michael Jordan and Barack Obama. And I mean, I can go on and on and on and on about the examples of excellence that I grew up around. But it's interesting because the narratives that are told rob the youth of the ability to see that they're living in an open air black history museum. Um, mm -hmm. So for me, I was able to look up, see everything around me and use it as, I would say, the building blocks for who I wanted to become. I love it. I love it. And one of the things that you've you've seen for, for one of them, which was one of your childhood heroes, Michael Jordan, growing up in, in Chicago. Yeah. Um, what was what was Jordan to you? What was the brand to you? What was the sneaker to you? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because, you know, if you grew up in the Midwest, Everybody has some person in a family that can tell you what it was like to listen to, to Jackie Robinson or listen to Joe Lewis uh, on the radio when they, they had their accomplishments. And you just would try to sit there and close your eyes and dream of like, man, I wish I could have seen what it was like when a, when a bronze bomber did what he did. Um, but for me to grow up and to have a visual representation, like someone I can look at that was on television, on billboards and advertisements, that not only was a great athlete, but was a great example of, of a cosmopolitan international male. It was fascinating. He was a father. He was an entrepreneur. He was an athlete. You know, he was a guy that would come and play ball in the city. He just loved the game so much. He went wherever the game was played. And I admired that because I knew that I could never be like Michael. You know, there's only one of him. But I felt like if I can somehow participate in his greatness, it can help me get out of Chicago. So creativity became my jump shot. And I decided that if Michael is Batman, I want to be Lucius Fox which is the black guy who runs Wayne Enterprises who made all the gear for Batman. And I was like, I could be him, you know? Uh, <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. 
And so you actually got the opportunity to do that. Or I guess I should probably say you created the opportunity to do that. Yeah, yeah, I did, man. I um, I wrote letters and advocated for myself since the age of 10. Nike put a 1-800 number in the advertisements back in the day. Yeah. And a lot of people would call, and it was a pre-recorded message, and they were satisfied with that. I was severely disappointed. <laughs> like, I wanted to talk to somebody. I'm like, you give me a number, I'm calling it. So I kept investigating. I flipped over the shoebox, and they had their original customer service number was directly to headquarters. So I would call that number and talk to people in customer service and tell them I want to get a job. I want to work there. I'm a designer. I'm 10. They would laugh, and I just kept calling back. They would send me stickers and posters, but they never really took me serious. And then eventually... One person gave me the number to the actual headquarters front desk, and I called and asked to speak to Tika Hatfield. They didn't put me on the phone with him, but I, I lied and said I was his nephew. <laughs> <laughs> I was about 12 at that point. I forget where I found his name, because it wasn't like now where you can Google people. It was like you had to watch you know, uh, NBA Inside Stuff on Saturdays. Yeah. But someone mentioned his name in one of those programs, and so I just kept calling kept calling. And for me, it wasn't the act of calling that kept me hungry it was the fact that it was a real place and sometimes you just need to know that where you want to be is real and that keeps you motivated so all the rejection didn't matter i I think it was accredited to winston churchill that says success is just a person that continues to go from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm and that was kind of me going from rejection to rejection without losing enthusiasm um and eventually i ended up getting rejected three times for an internship when i applied in college but on my third try i got accepted and became nike's first um black design intern out of out of design school so it was a great experience man um being told no cuz you just get you just built resilience you know you 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 pitched was it you pitched the design was that at, at jordan's house oh yeah when i was at jordan's house yeah man <laughs> oh man that that was overwhelming so his crib in chicago it's like Wayne Manor. So when you drove up to the gate, it had like this huge metallic 23. The guy comes over to Intercom. I'm in the car with, you know, Dale Allen and Gentry Humphrey. Dale Allen ran sports marketing. Gentry ran product at that point. And I was, you know, young designer working on a game shoe. And um, they're like, hey, you here to see Cat? Everybody calls him Black Cat. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, this is awesome. And I'm in, I'm in my hometown, man, like going to this man's house. That's I'm, crazy. You know, it was like overwhelmingly just nervous just super nervous like i can't believe this i could barely go to the united center afford a ticket to the game now i'm at this man's home we walk in i'm just trying to be as quiet and respectful as possible like i'm not touching nothing because i mean anything can be worth more than my whole year's salary i'm not touching nothing then he invites me over to stand in his trophy room and the trophy room was the old center court from the old bull stadium and he had every single accomplishment in chronological order uh, if I recall correctly, from left to right, all his accomplishments in this trophy case. And it was the most overwhelming feeling because here I am, a black kid from the South Side, standing in the home of Michael Jordan, witnessing what's possible for me because I, I saw he did it, so therefore it's possible for me. And I just shut down. I'm like, hey, can I use the restroom? So I'm, I'm in the bathroom. As, as any person would do, I call my parents. <laughs> I call my mom. I'm like, yo, I can't believe this. I'm in MJ's house. I'm in his bathroom. This is crazy. I'm looking at everything, towels, everything. I'm not even using the bathroom. I'm just in there. I think maybe 15, 20 minutes had passed. And uh, he knocks on the door and he's like, hey, man, tell your mom. I said, hello, make sure you wash your hands. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, <laughs> this brother had tremendous acoustics in his house and he heard everything. But when I came out, you know, he had kind of like a smirk on his face and he's like, it's okay, man, I understand. I understand what this means for you. I get it. Like he had allowed me for a second to witness 
what it was like to reach the highest pinnacle of human performance and then allow me to feel like it's possible for me. He didn't make me feel like I was being naive or childish with doing that. He actually celebrated with me. Yeah, yeah, you should be happy you're here. Look, you, you come from a neighborhood where most people don't ever leave that neighborhood, let alone get to exactly where you are. So it was dope, man. It, I, I forever be grateful for that experience because it changed my life in terms of realizing that heroes are real and you can become one yourself. Absolutely, man. And that and that's a theme that I think will carries out throughout, you know, your story. There's this also this moment where you talk about the fact that you are essentially in the business of creating things that help people to feel like their best. Yeah. And to be their best and to see the best in themselves. And as a father, you realize that at home you had a child that didn't feel that for himself. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it, it was uh, it was surreal, man. You know, I had reached the exact place I dreamed about reaching since the age of 10. I was finally not only at the table, but controlled the table, you know, in terms of creativity and what, what products were made and how they looked. And I was on the road, you know, working with athletes that I'd always admired, athletes I became friends with, and thought that everything was exactly what it needed to be. And then I came home from that road trip and I saw my own child I saw him feeling, you know, less than inadequate because of things that, you know, he couldn't control, like his health. Right. Um, And not health from the perspective of what he eats and and being active. But, you know, the internal enemy of having a hole in his his intestine that essentially turned his internal organs um, inflamed and his body became, you know, full of toxins. He couldn't control that. He did nothing to to ask for and, and couldn't do anything to defeat it outside of just remaining healthy. But to him, to the outside world. He was broken. Something was wrong. He he had gained weight. He wasn't like other kids. And I just knew. I knew in that instance, looking at him, praying with my wife, talking about it, asking myself, what is it I really want to be good at? I realized, like, I have this talent, this skill set. I don't want to just use this to only make products for athletes and people who have significant influence. I want to use this to empower the youth because at the end of the day, I can fail at, at a company. I can fail at making shoes, but I'm not going to fail at being a dad and a husband. I just refuse. And so I went in the next day after praying with my wife and I quit. And the entire industry thought I was crazy because, you know, here I am at the height of the most coveted job in design is to lead Air Jordan. Right. And then I walked away from it. So people have speculated everything from I'm going to a competitor to I had a mental breakdown to a ton of different things. None of it was true. But the thing about making choices that are not, I would say, popular is they usually are inspired by either um, some type of divine influence or your internal compass that navigates you towards who, what you're supposed to do, your purpose. What did you do after that? What, what, what did that inspire you to do next? Um, I took a year off, and I, I was a stay-at-home dad. It was the greatest thing I ever did in my life. Because when you're trying to listen to, like I said, that internal voice, it starts as a whisper. And so many people drown that voice out by trying to be busy. You know, I need to work until I figure things out. I, I went the complete opposite direction. I did nothing. I sat, I just kind of participated in the upbringing of my children, and I allowed myself to feel the world at that moment and feel what was going on. And during that time period, I realized, like, I really needed to research, you know, what the true problem is I wanted to solve. So I went back to my grad school and back down to Stanford. I was on a board for the design school there, stepped down. They accepted me into a fellowship program where I was able to research over a three-year period, uh, roughly, you know, the landscape of everything from mental health with children to physical health to societal health to just goal setting and, you know, positive psychology and mindset. I looked at every single factor that could contribute to a child's success. And then I realized that the most important one and the one I can control is what they see, the images that we produce. 
and I knew in sports we used the image and archetype of an athlete to encourage people to show what you can do through training and preparation. I felt that this generation of kid would not resonate deeply with athletes the way they would with characters in video games and in comic books because that's what the present hero looks like. They wear a cape, not a jersey. So kids are growing up seeing superhuman narratives and they live in an age of technology where people are becoming superhuman. So that research helped me to validate and and understand why I wanted to do it and what I would do. Then I joined um, a startup because I needed to have startup experience. Um, Then was recruited into venture capital as a designer in residence, entrepreneur in residence, I wanted to learn what people said about entrepreneurs when they left the room. So my strategy became, you know, how do I eliminate the way people can tell me no? So understanding how deals were done, how companies were valued, how founders were evaluated. Um, And so in that period of time, I was able to rebrand myself away from being a shoe designer to being a creative person, because that's really what I am is just creative. You put me in medical field, I'll do something creative. You put me in politics, I'll use creativity. And then joined the co-founder of the startup. The few former Nike guys, um, a software company. I wanted to understand how to build a software team. And then eventually, you know, once again, got the nudge to say it was time. And I walked away in 2016 from that startup and co-founded Super Heroic. And, uh, you know, uh, you made a, a conscious decision to really know how to do all of the jobs of the people around you. Even if you weren't going to actually do them, you mm-hmm. would know how to do them. Mm-hmm. And there's a quote that you, you have that the role of an innovator is to solve the biggest problem that helps the largest number of people. Mm-hmm. As an innovator, what is the problem that you want Superhero to solve yeah. um, and for who? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, the problem I'm trying to solve with what we're doing or the problem I'm trying to prevent is a generation of children that do not see themselves as one people. And so mm-hmm. I have this philosophy where I say if you can play together, you can live together. Kids don't care if you're black, white, whatever. They just care if you want to play, if you know the rules of the game. So really what we're trying to preserve is that essence and that purity of play that allows children to see each other as equal. So I'm trying to build a generation of children who have empathy, who have persistence and grit and determination, who understand the ethics and morals of what it means to be a hero and the commonalities amongst us all through the games that we play. So if you extrapolate out 20, 30, 40, 50 years, these are the people who will be captains of industry, politicians, police officers, you know, leaders in, in community, and they'll have this beautiful subconscious context of knowing that these kids they play with that may look different than them are still the same as them. So I'm trying to get a generation ahead and solve what I'm seeing through, you know, right now what these kids are witnessing is an era of destruction through discrimination and misogyny and hatred, but no one's explaining to them or trying to prevent them from going down the path we're going down. And that's effectively what I'm trying to do in a positive way. I'm trying to trying to use play and, and imagination as a way to explain the complexities of the world because no one's doing it in hopes that when they are in a position of authority to make a difference that not only do they want to make a difference, but they're in a position to make a difference in the most diverse, inclusive way. So it's not just the physical health, it's the societal and mental health that I'm also working on, too. That's such a powerful insight on the connection between how we connect with each other, how we see each other, and just kind of the purity that we start off with on the playground. And the idea of play can be the insight that kind of launches um, not only a business, but also a mission and kind of this worldview that that you're connected to. And, you know, to be a man of color in this space, it's like all of these different multiple variables that all come together. Yeah. It isn't a day that I'm not reminded that I'm the only one like me 
doing what I'm doing in this industry. I, I just came back from an award ceremony from Germany, a country where one of my heroes, Jesse Owens, proved that we weren't inferior, you know, in the 40s. And then to come back in 2018 and, and sit at a table in a room full of the world's best designers and practitioners and, you know, academics and researchers and be the only one to look across the room and see the people serving the food look like me. It was the most overwhelming feeling possible because here we are worlds apart, but exactly the same in the same moment, you know, we're together. And my whole night shifted because I spent so much time trying to connect, you know, like lock eyes with the people who were serving food to let them know I'm at this table with you. You know, I'm not here by myself. I'm not going to ignore the fact that it's just us in this room. We equal because that's important to me, you know, to remind people that I don't care how far I go the end of the day i never want to lose sight of the fact that my job isn't to be the first it's just not to be the last yeah it's, it's, it's really powerful so talk to me about launching this man like this not just you it's a family-owned business yeah, this yeah. is like your life's calling your life purpose in this moment yeah, like yeah. how's it been yeah it's crazy man you know um we are officially a year old and it, it's Man, it's crazy. You know, you start anything new, it's hard. You start something with intentionality and purpose is even harder because that means you have to say no a lot more. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people think about growth at all costs. But for me, that means if I say growth at all costs, the cost is the children. So I can't do that. I can't just go out and take every deal. I have to be very deliberate because the little lives that are impacted by what I do matter to me, like deeply matter. Um, it's been amazing at times. It's been stressful at times. It's been broken at times it's been fixed at times it's it's everything it's the full human experience when you start a company the most exciting part of it all has been interacting with families and people from all around the world and most of them don't look like me but we relate on one thing that our children deserve better and that's yeah. cool because when i turn on television i see all the unfortunate nonsense that's pumped into into society and then i experience something completely different and men who don't look like me who i'm told i should be afraid of coming up to me giving me hugs and explaining how all they ever want to do is be a good dad and all they ever want to do is relate to their children and how this company can help them have conversations because their kids don't want to play baseball. They want to do video games and it's beautiful, man. You, yeah. you realize that at the end of the day, we all want the same things. We want our kids to do better than us. So that's yeah. the thing that keeps me going. And really, you know, I, I, I say, man, that children are the greatest equalizer because I don't care. You could be the best athlete, the biggest star, a Nobel Prize winner. You sitting there with a two-year-old that is losing their shit. Yeah, oh, it's, it don't matter. Like, we all equal, man. Nobody has the answers. Nope. And we all love our families, and we want the best for them. And so for all of the, the people that's listening and being introduced to a super, super heroic for the first time, what are all the things, the amazing things they can get for their, for their kids, their nieces, their nephews? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a myriad of products, man. It's, uh, we all, I actually call it a multimodal system of play. Because uh, play isn't a singular activity. It has to be a system. And that system is very deliberately built on a curriculum that's influenced by traditional childhood development. So we start with the apparel and the footwear. We'll also start to introduce narratives that reinforce the imagery that we hope to see in the world. Diverse kids doing things together, solving problems together. And so you'll see a comic book you're able to consume and read the stories and, and kind of have these archetypal figures that your children could, could re relate to. Then we have experiences with the Hero Lab which are little miniature superhero training facilities and obstacle courses. Um, so when you jump into the middle of Super Heroic, if you can't fit the apparel, you can participate in the event. If you don't want to be at the event, you can read the stories. So there's something for every kid, much like the playground. If you're not the fastest, you may be the most accurate when you throw in a dodgeball, or you may be the most strategic when you're playing Red Rover. Like everyone has something they're good at. 
um, when, when they play. So with the platform, with the digital product side, a lot of it is helping parents understand the skills that children develop through play in a way that's relevant. So parents hear kids need to play more, but no one's telling them what that really means developmentally. And then why is it valuable? You learn empathy through play. You learn the soft skills of persistence and grit and determination through play. So we're able to show, here's what your child has done. Here's what he or she is good at. Here's some recommendations on games that may help them fill in those developmental gaps like persistence. So we see that being a huge opportunity because in school, children who tend to give up on tasks earlier or don't understand delayed gratification, they're falsely labeled. I was falsely labeled because I had a short attention span, not because something was wrong with me, because I was just a child full of energy. And so all we're trying to do, man, is to is to show that play is serious and it's really serious in terms of children at that age group. What's, what's the vision for Superheroic that you have yeah. as a CEO and a founder yep. you're going after? It's two, it's two parts. One, there's a vision for myself because I think the greatest product I'm working on is me. Yeah. Uh, and I have to you know work on myself before I work on the business. So it's just you know the vision that I was given was me being in complete balance in terms of health, mental, everything. And, and seeing like this joyous moment when my family walks through my office, I'm in the city, I'm wearing this three-piece suit, I see the whole thing vivid. Like, And God has always given me these little images and glimpses to aspire towards. And then I get there and I look up and I'm like, holy crap, I'm in that moment. I saw it before I got to you know Nike. I saw it before I got to Stanford. Now I see it with this company. So it's the first is the vision he gave for me to know that you know it, it is real. But for the company, I see us creating these magnificent mobile theme parks. I see us creating a completely new way of building a company, having education system built inside of the company. I see us treating the janitors and night, you know, night working crew as equal to the people who are delivering the designs for the product. Cause some of the people who helped me along my way were the janitors and the security guards. Like in college, they would bring me food at Nike when I didn't have a place to live and I was sleeping under my desk. They would bring me food and, and unlock the door to let me use the showers. I mean, so I want to create a, a culture where when someone works for me and they may be a janitor, we call them night watchmen. And they mm-hmm. feel like they're heroes who protect our IP and, and they can bring their kids in and their kids can have a meal and get tutoring. And I don't I don't I want to have a system where if you work for us, then your family is benefiting, not just you. That's generational change. Like imagine a place where you can come in, get food and your child is sitting next to the CEO's children getting tutored and you may be a cook. But your child is in the same free tutoring program as the CEO because the company is built that way. So that, that's that's what I want to build, yeah. like that type of community, not not a company, but a community. That that's the vision I have. I love it. And you always say that as a designer, the first product is culture. One hundred percent. That's that's the first thing that, that that we create. And so, I one last question: You go back to Southside Chicago, right? You're the CEO of Super Heroic. Yep. The shoes are out in the world, and for the first time, you see a kid in a pair of Super Heroics. Yeah. What was that like, man? Man, it was uh, it was overwhelming, to be honest with you. Um, first time I saw a kid wearing them, and I saw a parent, you know, with the child interacting, and a kid is wearing a cape, and, you know, I, I just stopped and watched. And I stopped and watched the interaction between a parent and a child more than I watched the product because that was what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see parents relate to kids at their level because I still, you know, have access to that seven-year-old Jason. That seven-year-old, creative, aspirational, open-minded Jason still exists, and I tap into him in order to relate and communicate with kids. So everything I do is in the language of a child. So that's why children resonate so much with our product, with the packaging, with the sound it makes. But the first time I saw the parent, you know, take the bag off the kid, put the cape on, and they run around, and the kid <laughs> chased them, that's, that was my first time seeing the product, was watching the dad put the cape on, and then his daughter was chasing him, and they're running, and he's smiling. And I'm like, that's what I wanted to create. 
that's exactly what I wanted. That moment where the parent can be reminded, you know, of what it was like to be a kid and the kid can feel empowered. And when I saw that, I was like, okay, I'm not crazy. You know, I'm not crazy. No, you're not crazy, man, at all. You found your, your calling, man. And now you have created something, man, where kids now can put on something and see the superhero inside of them yeah. and realize that they too can fly, they too can be anything that they want, and they too can change the world. And I can't think of a better role of a designer, man, than to design a world where young people growing up, seeing those possibilities um, and wanting to create a compassionate, inclusive, empathetic world, man. So, hey, brother, you, you are the designer the world needs. Appreciate it, man. Thank, Thank you. you, brother. Thank you. So, Bobby, what a great guy. What a great interview. You know, Jason is such an inspiring story. And just the, by the way he speaks, you can really hear uh, the heart behind his mission, you know. And, you know, we talk about people who have their purpose light switch flicked on. They know what they're meant to do with their life. And Jason just has this, like, irrepressible spirit where you can just hear it come out of him. as like, this is what I am meant to do. Um, and it, it's, it's remarkable to hear where he is on his journey and where he's going. And w- what I really found interesting was the theme about heroes, right? So heroes come up a lot in that's the name of his company, Superheroic. He's influenced by comic book culture, uh, you know, by Batman and things like that. And real life heroes like Michael Jordan. And I think he really takes it to another whole level, which is this idea that we are all superheroes and our talents are our superpowers and people of all ages can use their talents for good. I found that a really interesting kind of um, inspiring way to look at the world and what he does. I do too. You know, part of what our superpowers are are the gifts that we innately have. And I think any time that as a young person that you can be clear about what those gifts are, what your superpowers are, the things that make you special and unique and powerful. The clarity around that, I think it can reshape your life. And, you know, I think so many of us, even as adults, are still trying to discover or rediscover what those superpowers are. Absolutely. You know, and it's the thing that you do better than anybody else. It could be being empathic. It could be being a problem solver. It could be imagination. It could be being a good listener. Like that's a superpower, I think. And everybody's got them. And I think it's it's a really core part of like figuring out your own journey is to understand what it is and learn how to use it in service to something bigger than yourself, you know, to a group of people or to an idea, to a movement, to a cause. Once you put your superpowers in service to something that's not you, uh, amazing things really start to happen. Yeah, and and I think that uh, is, is is probably you know the most important lesson uh, that I'll take you know from the conversation is this reminder that we all have the ability to be superheroes in our own way. One of the other bits of the interview I loved was Jason talking about the first time he was at Michael Jordan's house and he was in the bathroom calling his mom going, Mom, you're not going to believe where I am. (laughs) (laughs) I I also like the way Jason kind of, he he made the comparison and said, listen, if, if Michael Jordan is Batman 
then I want to be Lucius Fox. I want to be the guy who invents the cool stuff that Batman gets to use. Um, and I love, love, love this quote. He said, you know, I'm never going to be Michael Jordan, but creativity is my jump shot. It's the thing that makes me special. And what's really incredible is that he fulfilled his childhood dream. He did it. And then he realized that his purpose was something else. His purpose was to take the lesson of his son uh, and what he was dealing with and use it to transform his gifts into something that wasn't just cool but good, right? This is, this is the entire subject matter of what we talk about. And, and he's, just an, he's, an, he's a shining example of exactly how you do that. And, and, and I think, you know, even when Jason talks about it, he's, he's, he's quick to say that he, you know, he doesn't see himself as, as doing anything um, that any other father wouldn't have done at that moment. Um, but I do think that being inspired to um, use that moment to create something for other young people and potentially for millions of young people around the world is, I think, where those who are creators and designers and entrepreneurs take that moment and turn it into something uh, bigger for everyone um, in addition to, to, to being a solution for, for our families and our homes. And the wonderful thing is in doing that, you teach your kids about purpose as well. You plant that seed of giving back, about doing good, about philanthropy, whatever that is, in them, and that's how it grows for an, you know another generation as well. And just as much as it is important to expose kids to to this, I think one of the most interesting parts of the whole interview is when he talks about um, being at the award show and realizing that the only people in the room who look like him are the people serving the food. And uh, I love what how Jason summed it up, summed it up, which said, "My job is not to be the first; it's just not to be the last." Right, is to leave the door open so other people can yeah. can get to where I got to as well. It's real, you know, and I, I mean, we, we've both been there, you know, as a African American man. I think that there is a sense of responsibility to not only kind of represent for a lot of people who who often don't have those opportunities uh, to be in in those rooms, but to also, you know, take the influence and voice that's in that room to to advocate for the importance of diversifying this room and making those rooms more inclusive and then leaving those rooms and sharing what you learned in those rooms and those experiences with others in ways that help bring them into those spaces and help to create those other spaces of power and authority and, and, and influence. It is a, you know, there's a, there's a, it's a equal parts sense of pride and, uh, you know, just bewilderment in a way. Yeah, you know, the actor Jack Lemmon had a great quote about, you need to send the elevator back down, you know, to, to make sure that you take people with you along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's a superhero. Everybody's got superpowers. Um, and, and we all just have to figure out a way of using them. Um, so I got a question for you. When you were growing up, what would be your, your favorite superhero? Was your, what was your superhero name? What would be your superhero powers? <laughs> what, was, what was it for you? Man, like, so my, my, I think my favorite superhero growing up was Superman. I'm in some ways envious of my son, man, who gets to, like, look on the TV now and see Black Panther and see, like, a whole world of superheroes who look like him. If, if I had that, I, I think I, I would have definitely been 
uh, Black Panther. But, you know, growing up, I was Superman. That was like, I have my, <laughs> my hood Superman costume with long johns. I think I, I think I drew like a, a, a S, a, like on a T-shirt. My towel was was hanging on the on the back. That was my superhero. That was my superpowers. <laughs> I don't know who who would be yours. So I grew up in Sri Lanka. Um, I was born in 1973. So when I was like eight, nine, ten years running around, I was obsessed with Batman, Spider Man, you name it. But uh, my gang of kids in the neighborhood, I call it the Black Panther Gang. <laughs> but, but you know the funny thing? We had our own business cards. <laughs> I created. <laughs> we were the only superheroes who actually had business cards. <laughs> and I remember taking these old business cards from my mom and dad, flipping them over and writing down business cards for the gang to hand out. <laughs> Why'd you, <laughs> we the most, yeah. Why'd you have business cards? Just I, case- I, I don't know. <laughs> I know I can't explain it. So you're just like, listen, if anything pops off, call me at this number. Our superpower was networking. That was really good at like, hey, here's my card. I'm not going to help you with your problem right now, but here's a card, call me later, and we can set up a time. <laughs> this program was brought to you by Good Is A New Cool and Soho House in association with Radio Wolfgang. It was hosted by me, After Aziz, and Bobby Jones. It featured Jason Maiden, CEO and co-founder of Superheroic. Keep in touch with us on social media via our Good Is A New Cool. And please spread the word about this podcast if you liked it. And if you want to know more, please go to goodisanewcool.org.